0: John chapter 5, and I'll read beginning from verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is God's word. Let me transport you to a time and a place that is warm. Imagine you are with me as I was traveling with a group of friends in the Atlas Mountains of North Africa. We came to a beautiful clearing in those mountains. And decided to camp there for the night. Above us was wooded hill going up all the way to the top of this mountain. And beneath was the most stunning sun-speckled valley you can, you can dream of. It was warm and so we decided we would uh, sleep under the stars that evening out in the open. We'd had dinner, we lay down, we went to sleep. Suddenly, large rocks landed one after another into the clearing where we were sleeping with loud thuds, not little pebbles, but almost boulder-sized rocks. Everyone woke up and scrambled behind the van for safety. When I say everyone... I remained asleep. This ability of mine to sleep through everything has been a considerable advantage as a father. (laughs) But at that moment, it was a problem. Thankfully, one of my friends decided to risk life and limb and brave the rocks falling into this clearing in the Atlas Mountains that we later discovered were thrown by a rare species of monkey that was known to throw rocks at uh, visitors and uh, dragged me by my sleeping bag to safety. When you have a problem that in your own strength and by your own resources you cannot solve, where do you go for help? Who are the people? What are the places? What are the ideas that you rely upon to solve a situation that you, in your own strength, cannot find a remedy for. This man had a problem. He had been an invalid for 38 years, almost four decades. This was longer than most people at the time even lived. And this story is telling us that the solution to the man's problems is not mysticism nor Pharisaism, but Jesus. Jesus is better than mysticism and Pharisaism. First, we come across mysticism. The man, as you remember, is lying down by the side of this pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda means house of mercy. And it was no doubt called that because of the belief at the time that these waters held mystical properties that at just the right moment could actually heal you. We see a residue of this belief in one of the verses that appear in some translations here, but not in all. Whereby there was a belief at the time that an angel would come down and stir the waters. And if you got into those waters first, you'd be healed. So there he is lying by this mystical pool we actually know from later tradition that the rabbis recorded that this pool was considered by some sacred to the goddess of healing or the goddess of fortune it seems as if within jerusalem perhaps because of the influence of the of the roman occupation at the time with its pagan worship rituals uh, Maybe because the ruling elites at the time were just turning a blind eye to this popular expression of hope. For whatever reason, right there was this pool of Bethesda, a mystical solution. But this man, however, is isolated. Isolated. For some reason, and we're not told why, but for some reason he's on his own. He has no friend to take him down to the pool at the right moment. It may have been his own character faults. We're told later that Jesus said to him, "Uh, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In other words, in this instance, though not by any means in every, but in this instance, his physical suffering... Was caused by his spiritual rebellion. And maybe the particular kind of sin of this man was ingratitude. Jesus has healed him. And when he meets Jesus, he does not even say thank you. No, instead, he runs to the Pharisaic police and throws Jesus under the bus. It was him. So maybe the particular sin that this man had was that tendency of some invalid, some people in physical suffering to manifest a bitterness, an ingratitude, a complaining. So no one wanted to be around him. Or it may be that this place was so busy that it was hard to get to the front of the line. At any rate, he was on his own beside this mystical pool. Mysticism is alive and well today. The most common example of it nowadays is not in sacred pools, though there are these uh, ritual places and certain gurus that some people do still go to. But the most common example today is not in a sacred pool, but in people who say they are spiritual but not religious. Today, more and more people say that they are spiritual, but also they're not religious. What they mean by that is that they're not wanting to be identified as a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Catholic or in association with any kind of organizational religion. But they do still believe in, in God or at least some kind of Higher power? And so when surveys ask them what religion they ascribe to, they look down that list and check the box at the bottom of the list saying, none of the above. Therefore, they're known sometimes as the nuns. Spiritual, but not religious. Now, to be honest, it is quite an attractive position to hold. Perhaps it's one you hold. After all, um, perhaps like in those days there were religious power battles and abuses in the institutional religion that Jesus was confronting over and over again, perhaps it is certainly the case that there are similar things still today. And it's quite a relief to avoid that kind of politicization of religion. Plus, perhaps, like today, then, the, the, the waters of Bethesda, well, they were always open. You didn't have to go to the temple at a certain time. You didn't have to get up early in the morning. You didn't have to perform Proscribed religious rituals. You can make it up as you wanted yourself. Anyone can go to this spiritual but not religious water. Yeah, it is it is quite an attractive idea. But it has a downside. It tends to be isolationist. Lonely, friendless. After all, as soon as you have a a few people gathered together, as soon as you have a community of any kind whatsoever, you need structure, organization. And if you want to be spiritual but not religious, the cost is, however attractive it may be, the downside is, You could well be sitting on your own by the pool without anyone to help you when you're in need. Perhaps uh, the best example of this is with the life and writings of Aldous Huxley. He was a brilliant author and popular philosophy. Uh, philosopher. Huxley uh, today is uh, most well known for his book, A Brave New World. But he also experimented with mind altering drugs, in particular LSD, as recorded in his book about his experiences, The Doors of Perception, a book that influenced the formation of a rock group called The Doors. And in this book, he played with the idea that has been common throughout human history, but he, in many ways, reintroduced it into the West, which is behind all these different manifestations of religions, there is one unified whole. Scholars call it the idea of the philosophia perennis, There's some mystical unity he felt he'd gotten in touch with through the means of LSD. Of course, his critics have wondered whether if you need to take LSD to see reality, perhaps you're not thinking right. In his A Brave New World, there is then no religion, only a drug called Soma. And the people in this future place live superficial lives with plenty of Soma to dull the pain, but without any real Intimacy. Or closer to Chicago, the life of John Belushi. Brilliant man. Died in the end of a drug overdose. He is reported to have said to his psychiatrist before he died, why is it I can give so much pleasure to everyone through Saturday Night Live, but can find no pleasure myself? lonely. And this mystical thing does influence uh, the church these days. Mysticism is hard to define. I have a book by the great A.W. Tozer which he calls a a mystical resource of poetic writings. But in this book he quotes mm, Charles Wesley and and, uh, Isaac Watts. What a that's what you mean by mysticism. I'm all for it. Experience of God, of course. But one uh, popular technique that is around today is called the Lectio Divina, it's a well meaning attempt to hear a personal word from God through sort of reciting. Scripture, sort of over and over again. And of course, we all want a personal word from God. I know I do. I hope you do. I hope that's why you're here. But the trouble with that approach is that my hunch is not necessarily holy. And what my spirit says is not always what God's spirit says. What I feel will make me happy is not actually always what will truly make me joyful. Well, what do we do then? Do we just sit around and read commentaries and stuff our brain with more and more information? No, 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 no. We follow the the, the Puritans who followed the Bible, the Psalms in particular. And we meditate on the Bible. We think about it, yes, but we think about it until it penetrates into the heart. And so, like John Owen and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon in various places advised, you, you meditate on the Word until you, you, you find your heart is warmed and you experience this joy unspeakable that is the promise. For all followers of Jesus. Oh, we have mysticism. But, my friends, to be honest, mysticism does not look so bad, at least to me, when you compare it with Pharisaism. <laughs> yeah, it is really quite mind-blowing. But here, the Jewish leaders complain the man was carrying his mat on a Sabbath. Now just think about that. Here is a man who has been an invalid for about four decades 38 years. He has been healed. He can walk. He can carry his bed. And what do they say? Stop carrying your bed. It would be like a doctor walking through an ER room, an emergency room, on his way to the next appointment, and noticing that in this emergency waiting room, there was a patient who suddenly was starting to asphyxiate. He was choking. He had his hands around his neck in the universal signal of choking, and he was going blue, and the doctor immediately stops and performs the Heimlich maneuver, and the man's life is saved, and the doctor goes on his way to the next appointment, and all the patient's All the other people in the waiting room, they say, how dare you? You did not complete the registration form correctly. That's what they're doing. According to the commentator Andreas Kostenberger, Jewish tradition forbid the carrying of an object from one domain into another Though you could carry a bed with a person lying on it, but not carry a bed that was empty. In other words, it would be better if you were still sick. Because then it would be okay for you to be carried on the bed. But for you to carry yourself, now you're well. Nope. How can this be? How can Phariseeism behave like this? How can they respond to Jesus healing this person and then decide they need to kill Jesus? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their teaching is nothing but rules taught by men. What is driving this is power. You invent man-made rules to control other people. And when those rules are violated, then you must either give up control or exclude or perhaps physically remove those who violate the rules. And once again, Pharisaism is alive and well still today. It goes by different names, but it's the same thing. There are secular forms of Pharisaism, I believe, today. Political correctness. Now, political correctness can mean I have a responsibility to speak and act in a way that is kind and non-dominating towards those who have been excluded from society and wounded by the structures of society. That's a good thing, for sure. Who could object to that? But political correctness can also mean, thou shalt not say anything that will offend the rules of the current elite. In many ways, actually, uh, it seems to me that contemporary secular society is not so much marked by rabid license and breaking of rules all the time. Actually, it is marked by a new set of rules which you must obey or else. yeah oh, yeah there are certainly secular kinds of Pharisaism, but there are also religious kinds. It is much rarer than it used to be, even a few decades ago, but there still are forms of religion these days that restrict them Adherence, their members, their followers' behavior based upon their man made rules of um, dress, drink, dancing. Many sermons in the last few decades have been preached against that kind of thing. You can look them up on YouTube. They're all over the place, over and over again for decades. And perhaps sermons still need to be preached against that kind of religious Pharisaism. But I wonder, I wonder whether the dial has turned too far in the opposite direction. If our forebears would not dare to even darken the door of a movie theater that might be showing a somewhat risky film or movie of one kind or another, is it not the case that today we will watch a Netflix movie that breaks every law of God? But when it is Pharisaic legalism, the motivating force is power. These people honour me move their lips, but their teaching is but man-made rules. It's to control. I, the greatest example I saw of this was actually in, in, in Soviet Russia. I lived there right after it collapsed, and I remember the renamed streets, the statues replaced with the current ideological acceptable heroes. And I remember the atmosphere of repressive, oppressive regime of secular Phariseeism. Well, maybe you can see now why this man hung out at the pool of Bethesda. You have more sympathy with those who are spiritual but not religious Perhaps the kind of religion they've been exposed to is Pharisaism, and they don't want that, so they're going to the mystical path. Is it any wonder people are spiritual but not religious? If the religion they're avoiding is Pharisaism. But then here there is also Jesus. Jesus. verse 6 Jesus saw the man no Pharisee had done that he saw him he discovered what was going on he noticed him he asked a diagnostic question like a good doctor don't you want to be healed And despite the man's sin, he still heals him. He saves him. And then, does he wait around for applause and thank yous and aren't you wonderful? No, he melts away into the crowd. No power dynamic at work. No magical, mystical manipulation to get the man to go down to the waters at just the right time, to just the right tempo of music, so he can feel the right things. He saw. He knew. He spoke. The man was healed. And today... Jesus is doing similar things. Yes, he is. He's doing it through his disciples. A characteristic of a disciple of Jesus is that they see. As someone becomes more spiritually attuned, their eyes are open and they begin to look around at the world and they see it in its invalid state. They ask good questions. They have empathy. They have compassion. They have love. But it's not merely sentimental, not just a feeling, not just an intellectual knowledge. They, they act. This has always been the case for the disciples of Jesus Christ, the true disciples of Jesus. Uh, the Roman Empire became followers of Jesus in large part because Jesus' followers stayed to take care of the sick in the cities when plague came. That willingness to stay when plague came to their neighborhood, to their… their pagan friends, to those who were rebelling against Jesus and certainly sinful, to stay with them and take care of them and look after them and, yes, love them. That willingness won the whole Roman Empire in a way that no sermon could have done. Look how these people love each other. Look how they love us. And a similar dynamic is at work today. This is why we support uh, over 120 partners around the globe. We look out of the world, we see need, we act. This is why we support the Outreach Community Center. We look at our neighborhood, we see need, we get involved. This is why one of our local partners serves in inner city Chicago, one of the toughest neighborhoods in the whole place, right there in the hood. We look out, we see needs, we act. This is why another of our partners serves in prisons across America. This is why hundreds of volunteers serve children with disabilities and youth ministries. Followers of Jesus represent who Jesus is and what Jesus himself does. He sees, he knows, and he heals. Don't you want this Jesus? Don't you want him more than anything else? When you have a problem, why would you go to to anyone except Jesus. He said, "How do I do that?" I have an answer for you. D.L. Moody, the great uh, preacher from Chicago, was not an intellectual. In fact, I'm told by a, a Moody scholar that his handwriting was so bad it was at a at a fourth grade level if that he could hardly spell. And yet, he had the greatest influence on America and around the world that perhaps any evangelist has done since the time of the Great Awakening in the 18th century. What was his secret? He would say this, I must get up at four in the morning to study and pray because I must get up before the other folks do. When he had a problem, where did he go? Jesus. Not mysticism. Yes, it is attractive in some ways. You can get rid of all those religious hypocrites, but then it's just you. And by the way, perhaps you're a hypocrite, too. You get to know yourself and you end up where John Belushi ended up. Why can I give pleasure to so many other people? Can I experience no pleasure myself? Why? Because you need Jesus too. Not Pharisaic uh, Pharisaism, whether a secular or religious kind. Man-made rules to dominate and exclude No. This morning will you go to Jesus? Let us stand together and pray. We're going to sing Rock of Ages in just a moment. It's a beautiful old hymn and it has words in it that are timeless and true. Let that song be our song, your song. Lord, we pray that you would... Lord, you, we pray, Lord, that you would meet with us this morning. You have, and we thank you. We pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would, as it were, see individual situations this morning. You do see. That you would know and that you would touch us heal would you lord heal broken hearts lord would you would you rebuke the arrogant lord would you raise up the afflicted yes lord lord would you have mercy on us like you had mercy on this Man, even in our sin, you are a Savior. Our sin does not surprise you. Would you have mercy on us? Would you give increased conviction for those who have been rescued to stop sinning lest something worse happen? And would you send us out to be your representatives to a world that is invalid still today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.